This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The wind is gone. I'm from myself. And no one's left to tell my tale. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I'm your host, John Williamson, and we're back with part two with Dr. Chris Haklutube. If you haven't listened to part one yet, pause this one, go back to last week, listen to part one, and then uh, you can proceed with part two, the conclusion. And uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed this one. Uh, This was fascinating for me, I'll be honest. Uh, As I said, the first episode, uh, I don't have, uh, I'll be honest, it's an embarrassing lack of knowledge on Native American spirituality and just Native American history in general um, as a history uh, person, somebody who loves history, my degrees in history. Um, you know, we, we just, unless you go kind of go out of your way and, and really search out information on the various tribes of which there were many, um, across North America and, and really dig into that history. And, or if you happen to be at a, a really good school that happens to offer courses and has good, uh, um, good academia, um, in that regard, um, it, it, there's just, you know, it's easy to go through life without really knowing much about it. And that's kind of the, true for a lot of different things, right? A, a lot of different subjects. It's very, very easy to walk through life just kind of oblivious and, and not really have a foundational understanding of that, of that subject. And yet, you know, we live in this day uh, and age of technology at our fingertips. Like literally, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times throughout the course of the day, I'm like, huh, I wonder. And then I pull my phone out and Google it, you know, information is, is readily available. So, you know, we really don't have much of an excuse anymore not to, uh, you know, quickly gain an understanding of something that we lack in. Um, it's not like the ye olden days back when I was a kid, when, uh, you would have salesmen coming around door to door, uh, selling, you know, books or like series of encyclopedia. Um, I remember when I was in high school, breaking out the old encyclopedia to try to understand some sort of mathematical equation better. And, uh, you know, they were useful. They were helpful. Sure. But like you can get way more information. Um, and it takes up way less space on your bookshelf, but they do look cool. You, you look like a learned person, you know, by having a series of, uh, encyclopedias. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, welcome back for part two. Uh, appreciate the support and love all the emails and DMS and, and social media comments we get, um, helps us know that you're still out there and still listening. Uh, still hard to believe. It's been over seven years now, which is crazy to think about. Uh, I was talking to Adam the other day, and uh, we had a couple of things pop up on our social media just as a, hey, this time, at this date, five years ago or whatever. Um, and it's hard. To, it's crazy to believe that uh, so many of these different monumental, you know, historical markers uh, took place now years ago. So pretty wild to think it's almost been a decade and uh, that uh, been going at this. So. So anyway, thank you guys so much for the support. As always, you know where to go, uh, www.thedeconstructionist.com. Uh, got the blog, got the web stores, the Patreon, uh, all the backlog of, of um, episodes, all that good stuff. So go check it out. 
and uh, go support Dr. Hakletube and uh, go check out some of the resources I provided in the show notes if you want to know more. Um, appreciate uh, your support and interest in this subject. Next week, I'll be back with part one of the final two-parter of this season. Take a little break and, and be back uh, again in the probably late summer, early fall is, is kind of what we're shooting for right now. So got a handful of episodes, about three, uh, about a third, I would say, of, of the, um, see, the episodes that we'll need uh, for the end of the year recorded. Uh, with some other ideas, but you know, sometimes you've got grand ideas and they don't they don't uh, come to pass. Whether it's just booking issues or um, trying to find the right uh, person, you know, to cover a certain subject. So we'll see how it goes. But I am optimistic, and I've already got a bunch of really good stuff in the can that I'm super excited to share. So uh, some cool themes and ideas and uh, guests uh, coming on for the fall. So. Uh, but before, before we do that, we've got a, a few more episodes left, including this one. So let's get to it. Uh, thank you for coming back and listening to part two. Uh, and without further ado, I give you Chris freaking Hakalatube. This water I am treading is now my Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. Like the uh, the communal aspect. One of the things that we've always talked about since we started the podcast is just uh, regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, you know. And, and obviously, the podcast name is kind of the uh, hijacking of an old philosophy term uh, that we take to mean you know examining your faith from the inside, maybe perhaps removing some things that no longer work, um, but sort of you know shoring it up a little bit so it's more um, seaworthy, you know, for for the storms ahead. And, uh, one of the things that, uh, um, that we've talked about is the, the absolute, um, necessity of community, whatever that community might look like to you now, maybe it's not going to church, but maybe it's gathering around a group of friends who, uh, can be truth tellers for you. Um, but, but having that support of a group of people around you, even if it's in a Starbucks or something, you know, but I, I love that. I love that idea, that notion of community uh, helping to uh, assist you through the journey of, of cleansing yourself. I, I think that's really neat. Um, so talk a little bit about, uh, you, you mentioned storytelling. And obviously, uh, we go back to our storytelling tradition through by way of the, of the Bible, you know, and the stories contained within and the lessons they have to teach us. So talk about the... Um, uh, the use of storytelling within Native American spirituality. Do they have like a creation story? I'm assuming they have some some version of it. So w- what is that like? Well, all all kinds of creation stories across the the globe, right? But even just thinking about North America, whether um, you have the story of Sky Woman in the Haudenosaunee or Six Nations uh, of a woman falling from the sky and being caught by birds and uh, landing on the back of a turtle and then either some being like a muskrat or a frog that dives down uh, to the ocean floor to grab some mud to create some land because this woman is about to have a baby, right? And uh, uh, this muskrat or frog or uh, animal dies in the process, right? So we have a sacrificial 
death or, or, or life that, that, that this person gave its life so that another might live as part of this very early story. Um, you have other stories that come from the ground, right? That in this is the Chata people are people from the ground, but a lot of, a lot of Southwest and Southeast stories of people coming from mounds or coming from uh, below the earth. Uh, and that uh, there have been many generations or many attempts to do this earth and that we're either the seventh generation or one generation and we have to get this right because others have messed this up. Uh, you know, at the heart of the many different creation stories, again, uh, all seem to emphasize the interrelationship of, of, of animals and humans and, and the earth. Uh, that that the earth is our home, that the earth is our our, our mother to some, you know, in, in various degrees, and that this is what happens. Life is able to grow and progress as things are in good harmony with one another, and chaos occurs and death happens when things are not living in right relationship with one another. Uh, so you know, for indigenous traditions, largely it's an oral tradition. And so these stories um, are also not even told all throughout the season, right? So many indigenous traditions, right? Some stories are only told in the winter months when people are gathering around the longhouse or the, the campfire, right? And otherwise, what are you doing listening to stories? You need to be out in the fields. You need to be hunting, right? Um, there are stories about creation. Uh, there are stories about, uh, uh, you know, some are just fun animal stories that are about like, this is why the Chata birds feathers are, uh, uh, you know, cut the way that they are. Right. Or this is why the, the raccoon is spotted the way that he is, or the, the alligator has its color right there. They're fun stories that, uh, uh, explain why animals are the way they are, but they're some lines like Aesop tales, right. That, by watching these animals and telling stories about animals, they have something to teach us, right? Which, not only becomes a vehicle for communicating moral lessons, but also become vehicles that further underline this importance that animals are persons that have something to teach you, that if you watch them and you see how they act, there's something that you can uh, discern, not only just about how to learn about them, which is good if in their own sake, but they're also moral idea. They're, they're productive to think with as well. If not directly teach you, they're productive to think with. One of my Lakota friends talked about the ways in which um, he was out with his grandmother and his grandma and playing in the grass and uh, in the flowers. And uh, uh, after watching her grandson play in the flowers, I... Uh, she said, well, go pick out me one of these flowers. And so he goes and picks up a flower and uh, uh, that he'd just been playing on, right? And pops up this flower and she smells it and like, oh, it still smells so beautiful. Smell this flower, right? And he smells this flower and says, even though you were running on it and stepping all over it, right? This flower still gifts itself and it's perfumed to you. And isn't this what love is like? And this, isn't this what forgiveness is like, Right. And, uh, and something comparable also with, with the tree, right? You think of these trees have these, you know, they're, they're, they're so tall and majestic, and yet there's this mystery and beauty that goes beneath the ground that we don't see, right? These deep roots that, uh, you know, he was encouraged just when you're angry, right? Tell your story to a tree, hug the tree, right? There's part of that energy that the tree takes it in, right? And, and in its vast wisdom and roots it's able to to hold that right and 
there's a lesson to be learned that, that, that we can think with the power and strength and stability of trees and the importance of being rooted and rootedness in land and place and our stories and our culture that, that communicates valuable lessons to us. Uh, and what I love about these stories, right, that I think is reflective and helpful for even thinking about with the Christian story, right, is that they hold these stories with an open hand insofar as the meaning's not always given, right? It's up to the person listening to the story to figure out the meaning. And then really, I mean, don't we see this in the gospel stories where Jesus tells these parables and then says, I... Thank you very much. I'll be here every Tuesday night. Tip your waitress on the way out, right? And the disciples are like, what was that about? Right? And so Jesus is like, "Are you? do you guys not get it? Do you not have any creativity or imagination to like apply this to your life? Okay, let me tell you what this story is, right? The farmer goes out and spreads his seed. The seed means this. Like, are you so wooden, right? And yeah. uh, But, you know, I think about this also in sermons, right? Like, I find myself listening to a sermon and I will zone out, right? And I will, I'll, there will be a piece of the sermon I'll listen to and uh, I'm going to sit on that piece. And this and I'll, it'll take me five minutes to come back and I'm, I'll catch up where the person is at, right? But there's a sense of, you know, the story is out here, the meal is prepared and you're going to zero in on what you need, the nourishment that you need for that moment and the thing that you need to think with for that moment. And and I think that's just so true to storytelling. But when we approach the gospel stories from this kind of Western enlightenment or systematic theological position, right, we're, we're trying to figure out those singular meaning that is going to produce that mathematical system of theology where everything coheres, right? Because we've, because uh, uh, that's what theology is, right? There has to be some ontological truth where there's one static stable theology that the singular author of God who is uh, woven together all the biblical stories in, in a way, right, has for us. And it's our job to figure out that system, right? And as a biblical scholar, you know, all my training in biblical scholarship has shown, oh no, that is, that story does not exist. The biblical authors are so diverse and so different, right? And so much the quest for biblical studies has been trying to get to that the historical Jesus. And what is the true version of this story? Did Matthew get it right? Where is Luke? Did embellish this? And what, who's Luke as the theologian? And, you know, as I've been engaging, walking with these indigenous communities, I just laugh at myself and all the efforts that we've done in scholarship to do this. And it's just like, in some sense, nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. Yes, John has his view. Luke has his view. Like, also the sky is blue and the water runs. Like, duh. Yeah. And... The, yes, the history of the Christian tradition has interpreted Mary Magdalene in all different ways. Of course, why not? How, you know, these are not surprising things, and we're not so anxious of getting at that right story. The question is, what is the story that you need to hear right now to move yourself back into harmony, put yourself right back in creation, you know, right relationship with your family, with your community, and with your Creator God and Jesus? Right. That's. Uh, uh, and I think we see this in you know the way that Matthew. Uh, tells a story. And Luke tells the same story to a very different end. And they can all be true because we're not trying to get at this mathematical truth of like recreating what was, you know, if we were to have a video camera, what was filmed there, right? And so uh, uh, the, this, 
orality and the importance of story reframing of stories as something that, you know, like a good joke, the punchline stays the same, right? There are certain elements that always stay, but exactly how you nuance the story and how you retell the character arc and motivations of these characters and who, what the, that will change. And there's, there's room for a multiplicity of stories uh, and a seasons for different variations. And I think that appreciation of indigenous storytelling in general has uh, um, helped refine uh, uh, my, how I think about the gospels, how I want to preach and how I want to train those innates to preach. Right. Even thinking about Paul's letters, right? Like we could teach them as letters that become the ingredients for a systematic theology to work out like, well, what is what is Paul's definitive view of soteriology or of this or that? Right. Or, or do we or are these artifacts of a larger story? How can we tell Paul's letters from a story perspective? Uh, these are all things I'm working with right now, because uh, and again, I think this touches us as, as human beings. Right. Oh, gosh. I mean, we we bore people with systems. There are some people that love systems, right? Let I me mean, again. There's all <laughs> kinds of people, right? And God bless those people who want to focus that. But you know, I will bore my students when I talk about systems, but I will encapture and enchant them when I tell them I approach the same information in story form, uh, because story. Uh, and, and this is an analogy that my uncle, uh, Digit's uncle, Terry LeBlanc and Nates talks about, right? Um, story has all these hooks to it, right? And this is, you know, knowledge that sticks with us, like Velcro. This is the Velcro analogy, right? Like the more hooks that are in any kind of story or piece of knowledge in it, it's going to uh, 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 latch on to the fuzziness of who we are, right? And so story, in the way in which it follows these generic forms and we're immediately... We hear one story and we're like, oh, that's just like that story and that story, right? Like it just hooks onto us in a way that like sterile textbooks with terms that like in a very organized process tries to lay out information to you takes a bit more work to stay with you, right? But you tell a good story, it's, it, that's, that's going to be a durable lesson that, that's going to stick with you. In the same way, you sing a good song and that's going to stay with you. And so... It's not surprising then that so much, you know, indigenous values and stories are embedded in songs and singing. And in, even in indigenous, in, in the own Choctaw Nation, right, when I've been going back to Oklahoma and, and, you know, having these conversations of what, you know, can you tell me stories about what it looks like when you see a beautiful juxtaposition, when you see full resonance between the Christian tradition and your indigenous traditions, uh, what comes to mind? And it's the Choctaw hymns. It's the singing of songs and hymns in the Choctaw language, in the Creek language, in Cherokee language that, that, that comes first to mind to, to, to everyone that I talk to. Uh, you know, because what I was expecting as a biblical scholar raised in Southern California was like, oh, you're going to have all these Bible stories. So you're going to tell me, right? Like, you know, this is what I'm writing my book on, but they're going to tell me about songs that they sing. And I was frustrated for a while and like, okay, how can I get past this, right? Until I finally said, wake up, Chris, this is where the data is. This is the story right here um, that my Western conceptions, you know, my Bible idolatry, like my, my framing and, and uh, positioning the foremost thing that's most important to my Christian faith is this book versus the life around this book and the songs that are generated from this book, the the. the that the uh, that the spiritual meanings of Jesus and, and people happens beyond this book and has always and you know 
and I'll stop right here, but I am humbled. I remind myself the vast majority of Christians that have ever existed in this world have been illiterate or have not framed their experience of Christianity by a book. Uh, in ter- so I, 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 will, I will pause there because even <laughs> here I find myself jumping from story to story. I'm, I'm just unpacking and I don't want to completely lose your audience in this. So no, please recenter me in a question or a story <laughs> that you'd like. No, that's great. I, I love this this notion as somebody who uh, grew up uh, very musically inclined. I love this idea of, and, and you're absolutely right, you, you hit the nail on the head talking about a story or uh, uh, a song rather that sticks with you is very similar to a story that sticks with you. Um, you know, a modern interpretation of that would be, you know, a catchy song that you can't get the lyrics out of your head or a movie you just saw. You know, we just had the Academy Awards, like a movie that really resonated deeply with you that, you know, you, you may not remember the, the, the finite details, but you'll remember the plot. You'll remember the gist of the movie and, and you want to share it with other people around you. So I think um, that vehicle uh, makes a lot of sense. But um, knowing that we are, are, are getting clo- close to uh, short on time or whatever, I definitely wanted you to talk a little bit about um, obviously a big focus in Christianity is what happens next, what happens after, you know, the afterlife. Um, what is the view? Cause I know not all, not all traditions really are, uh, you know, not all traditions, uh, in, not in all con- traditions, is it a, um, a major issue or a major focus rather? Uh, so, so what was, so within native American spirituality, I guess the question I'm trying to ask here is, uh, is that a, a central thing that they, they focus on or is that sort of a, a minor thing that 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 they discuss within their traditions again again it's it, it varies right so in the christian story right uh, in, the, in the linear way in which the christian story is told right that all life in human history is coming to an apocalyptic end where there where there will be this final battle between good and evil good would will win good will win out and there will be a general resurrection where human bodies will be restored and there will be a return to a Garden of Eden uh, on this world, right? And, and so there is this high anxiety but also push, right, to save people's souls, to get people in right relationship with Jesus because you want to be resurrected for the eternity that, that, that occurs afterwards, right? And, it, you know, in some sense, it's a very linear, but, but even in that line, Right there is a circle that I don't think indig- that Christians really appreciate or recognize. Right, uh, that 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 at the heart of that story is always this return to a garden, is return back to a right relationship to the earth, where uh, the earth is restored. And we see this in Romans eight, right? That that our destiny is bound with earth. Who does Paul describing as a person, right? Is groaning in birth pains, that Mother Earth, because mothers give birth, right? Is groaning with birth pains for the full restoration of herself that somehow we have screwed up, right? In, in this story. And so our destinies are tied and there is going to be some kind of return. Um, indigenous worldviews and pathways, right? That they see life as a cycle and that, um, and that, that, that what the human individual is beyond this world, I think, is a mystery and is something that different indigenous people have um, uh, differing views about. But that said, right, there is this sustained um, 
belief that that one's ancestors do exist somewhere in some sphere in some plane, right? And and that either and I you know I don't want to get into the full ontology of what how that looks like again, but that you know. Uh, we see this in the Day of the Dead, which is, you know, an indigenous tradition from South America, right? Or um, in the ways in which indigenous people uh, 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 leave food out on their uh, table or that they uh, have different recognitions that, that their ancestors are present and that one ought to live in a way that brings honor to your ancestors and that continues on their legacy in a good way. And so whatever is going to happen to us in our afterlife may be a mystery, but there, there is a real deep sense that our ancestors are watching over us and there is some right relationship that we ought to have and respect toward them. And this sounds superstitious to the evangelical mind, but I will say, go back to the Hebrew Bible be, because there are elements of this throughout. Like, Indigenous people are much more similar to the peoples of the, the of the Hebrew nations than any Western Christian has in the last five hundred years, right? Of of modernity. Uh, I mean, why is it the case that when they talk about the God of Israel, it's always the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? It's constant ancestors. That when Israel goes from Egypt to the back to the Promised Land, that they dig up the bones of Joseph and of their ancestors, and they're carrying them to the Promised Land. That there, that there is some relationship that they're going, that they want their family with them. Um, and we see this in Hebrews, right? This cloud of witnesses that are watching us and cheering us on in the faith. And are we only to imagine that those witnesses are only the, a bunch of group of men and a few women, right? The patriarchs, right? Or are those the ones that are the forefront in the mind, the storyteller of Hebrews? But if that really is a cloud of indiscriminate ancestors, that your ancestors too are there cheering you on. I had a student, uh, Christina, who is just wonderful, who, who wrote a whole paper thinking about this and wanting to think about uh, uh, can I as an indigenous woman uh, uh, participate in these ceremonies that bring honor to my ancestors from a Christian perspective. Where, what room is there? What, what cultural seeds of imaginations are there within the, our sacred texts of the Bible that might signal that this is okay if, if one needs permission for this? Um, and I would say, you know, if coming from an indigenous perspective, looking at Christianity, there are elements that have always been there that have been under appreciation, forgotten, or negated because of a dualistic Greek philosophy that kind of came through that that then evolved in you know uh, into the modern Western Enlightenment way of thinking that said, well, that's heresy, that's paganism, that's animism. We've never done that, right? Mm-hmm. And I, there are other ways of interpreting these passages, and I would say some of these indigenous instincts that are not just indigenous, right? We see this in China. We see across the globe, people have been thinking about what does it mean to live in right relationship to my ancestors that uh, that actually Western, modern Protestant evangelicals are the unicorns in human history that have said, I don't think about anything with this, right? Even in Mormonism, right? There's this baptism for the dead, right? That That's coming from 1 Corinthians. And we're just like, what does this mean? I don't know. Whatever it means, it can't mean the Mormons because they're, you know... The Latter Day Saints, because they're they're wrong. But even Joseph Smith is like tapping into this that sense of like, what what is it like to, to to be thoughtful about our ancestors, those who have gone on, right? Um, so that's that's kind of a way to get at. There's not so much anxiety over the forward thinking of 
is there going to be a heaven or hell or justice, right? Um, I think, Nate, to a lot of peoples, right, there is this sense of justice. There is this sense of this hope that whatever lies on um, the other side, that I am going to be in relationship with the people I love the most, and that I'm going to be loved, and I'm going to be reunited with the Creator, that it's going to be good, right? I, I think every person hopes that. And also, I think there's some hope that the people who have done us wrong Either they will be restored and made right, or that there's going to be some kind of punishment. And, and we see this throughout the whole Christian tradition, right? Even Origen thinks long and hard that if God's love is truly love and all-powerful, right? And that if hell, because what hell can't be is a universal just that God gets his pleasure out of like hurting, destroying people, right? That God right. is some vindictive monster that like, you know, because you didn't believe these right things is just going to torture you forever. Right? Like no human parent thinks like this. All discipline is meant to teach and restore right relationship. Right. And even origin is tapping into this and thinking if discipline is meant for education, then hell and purgatory, whatever that is, is meant to educate. Even the devil himself is going to get educated in infinite time with infinite love because how can you resist the irresistible love of God and God as tutor, right? For there, for hell to not to be evacuated at some point is a failure of an all-loving God. Uh, so in, in origin, as I tell students in my early Christian class, this is the smartest we have, right? Like the dude is brilliant. He'll get called for heresy, but everyone who calls him a heresy is stupider than origin, has not thought <laughs> through all these things. And you can still disagree with him, but... Um, there, there's that. I mean, you see this in C.S. Lewis. We see this all these thinkers, right, that are all just trying to think about. It. And even at the heart of this apocalyptic tale of good versus evil, what they're all leading to is harmony of getting people back in right relationship with Aslan, right? At the last battle, secretly C.S. Lewis is a universalist that, you know, <laughs> or some sense that all these other people are, that Aslan's counting their work to service him. Uh, and, 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 and so I think this, the indigenous intuition, maybe we might call it, is that that harmony doesn't just exist in life and death in both ends, but it exists now. And so we're always in this cyclical, seasonal sense of restoring harmony throughout the seasons, throughout the moments of life. And uh, even in the prayers, uh, the seven directions, right? You east, west, north, south, up, sky, down, ground, into your heart, right? Um, we're not just, you know, indigenous people aren't just praying to like the, the spirits of the four corners, right? But this also becomes opportunities to think about that, that, that your life right now is in context. You are placed, you are spatialized in relationship to things. And each of these things, each direction becomes a helpful opportunity to think about all the things associated with the circle of life and with every being that exists in these different directions. And that, that your existence is contingent in relationship with everything. And so this is an opportunity to be thankful, to organize your prayers, to uh, be thoughtful. I mean, this is a practice that I've been, that I've watched my elders do and that I've been trying to live out my life. And, uh, and I teach my kids in Sunday school that it's just such a helpful uh, a space to, to, to pray in. But, but there is this cyclical nature. There is this thinking and rest, you know, you know, I, again, I, I'm pausing it here, but I, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to get off my train here because I know we're on time, but I, I could go off and keep talking. No, I, I love that. I, I think that's a, a beautiful way to, to look at things and, uh, and a perfect way to, uh, to end, I think. So 
Um, I want to say a huge thank you. This is fascinating. And I know we could have probably done like three more hours easily and still not covered everything. So I think that means we have to have you back at some point to continue to cover more. <laughs> well, you know, and, and this is about relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. I, and this is something that I have um, been thinking about a lot with Nate's is that you know, we're all on this journey together. And so, you know, kind of the, the, the capitalist, you know, thing is like, oh, let me, let me just extract this information from this Christian Indian and put it on my podcast and co. Or, or what would it look like to be in relationship, right? To have you as a deconstructionist podcast come to Nate's annual meeting and get to know more of us, right? And, and, for, and to invite us back and to keep this conversation going. And, and you, in turn, it, when our relationship with you, you are introducing to a whole number of people, some of whom we already have a relationship with, like Brian McLaren has been a friend of the community for a long time, and introducing to others who we want to get in relationship. So, because um, the heart of it, I think the richness of doing theology and thinking these thoughts are not just the thoughts and beauty we produce, but, you know, it sounds cliche, it's the friendships we make along the way, Right. Absolutely. Of, of the journey. So yes, I'm, I'm happy to be a friend of the podcast, be a friend of you, John, and to keep this conversation going. And, and I, I tell you what, we are having exciting conversations with Nate's of what it looks like to do ministry and to think and train ministers from an indigenous perspective uh, uh, from the ground up, whether it's reframing biblical studies in terms of stories of telling indigenous history from an asset-based approach that doesn't just say, well, let's, you know, talk about all the problems and talk about Indians as problems, right? But let's, let's approach our stories from what we have to offer and the strengths we bring and, uh, uh, and how can this be trauma-informed and, and, and in conversation with Christianity. So, you know, we are trying out a lot of things and I think our hope is that we're going to have something to give to the wider non-indigenous community as well as we all think about what it means to, to, to live this life in a good way. Well, I, absolutely. I, I think uh, it, that's been the biggest gift of doing this podcast is the relationships uh, that you know I've been able to forge over the years, and, uh, and definitely to keep these types of conversations going. And um, and so, yeah. Before I, before I let you go, though, where uh, can people go to stay up on top of your work? And then also, um, do you have any sense for when the book uh, might be out, or is it still pretty early in the? Yeah, so we are we are in the process of writing it. it. Is due to InterVarsity Press at the end of next summer, twenty twenty four. So probably published in twenty twenty five. I mean, you can always Google Chris Hockletubby, and you'll find different works that that have been. You know, my indigenous stuff is out there in a lot of different volumes. You can always feel free to shoot me an email, and I will send you PDFs of of my work. But let me again in relationship. I recommend people check out nates.com. That's n a i i t s dot com. It has a a journal associated with it. It, it, These journal articles are filled with brilliant minds, indigenous Christians who have been thinking about this for 25 years and over. And uh, there's such a richness to this. Again, I want to lift up the work of my friend, Danny Zacharias, Randy Woodley, Tink Tinker, um, uh, Stephen Charleston, especially, you know, I, I see him as a spiritual grandfather in terms of just the intellectual production he's producing in terms for vision quests of Jesus is one of the most underrated works on indigenous Christianity. Uh, and I have already mentioned Caitlin Curtis and others. So, uh, I'm always happy to give recommendations on this journey and, uh, and please check out, uh, our annual meetings, we, we really welcome a lot of people to, to, to join us and to, to walk on this path with us. 
That's awesome. Well, we'll put all um, all the links we can in the show notes there, and uh, so that people have some resources, know where to go. But uh, yeah, yeah. And oh, you know, before I close, one last thing. I, he's going to be angry that I forgot, but uh, there <laughs> is an online indigenous church community called Good Medicine Way, led by my friend Casey Church and Ch- Casey Church, and they stream on Facebook. Good Medicine Way. Uh, they do fantastic work there too. And I want to also just uh, take the opportunity to shout out them as well. So I'll end there. Uh, of course, I could talk about Randy Woodley's Elohe Farms <laughs> as well. There's so many people we're, we're plugging again because uh, they're, yeah, they're just amazing stories that abound. I love it. Well, again, we'll, we'll make sure that we include the links in the, uh, in the show notes. So if, uh, uh, if you didn't happen to write that down just now, it's okay. I, I will do the work for you. So it'll be in the show notes. But um, Chris, thanks again. This was absolutely fascinating. And uh, I really appreciate some of your time. All right. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Tyrone 
big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. 